Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Leland. I'm Moby. And Marty. How are you guys doing today? Go ahead. <laughs> Already pretty good, forward. pretty good. It's a long weekend up here, so uh, we're all fresh. Uh, Marty's downing an energy drink, so we'll see what that brings out today. Could be uh, something. It's, it's an episode about violence, boys. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Some shit is gonna happen. It is a it is a very violent themed episode. I think we actually have a theme for once for this episode. Well, listener has been supporting us quite well over the past week. We have to up our game now, boys. Yeah, we're officially on the interwebs now. Yes. Oh yeah, we're everywhere. We're a household name already. It's crazy. Absolutely. At least in my household. And the <laughs> censors have yet to check it, or else we would find ourselves blocked. <laughs> Tom Hardy's currently suing us. <laughs> we're counter-suing him for not appearing on the show. Uh, our lawyer tells us our chances are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get started. I got a few things I want to talk about. First, I want to do a... Spider-Man Homecoming Review Correction. Is this your addendum? This is my addendum. Oh, now I've been thinking about it for like a week or whatever, or a week since we last recorded. I'm going to bump it up to a seven and a half. I think six and a half was a little too harsh um, because it was pointed out pretty correctly to me by uh, my younger brother that it is at least as good, if not better, than the first Raimi Spider-Man. Which I think is a pretty good movie. Yeah. So I'm going to bump that up to seven and a half. But this very thing is why I don't like to give fucking ratings. Because I think about it a week later and it's like, okay, that was too low or that was too high. So if we continue to give ratings, I will continually <laughs> add addendums to them. So. Well, that's fine. You also have to consider that there are so many superhero films now that it's hard not to look at them in a jaded sort of way. I know. And that's like I was thinking like directly comparing its rating to how I would rate some other movies, I was like, okay, that is definitely way too low for me. But Well, in particular, Marvel has this kind of baseline quality. I mean, it's rare that they yeah, have a piss poor yeah. movie. That's true. So you're always batting at least a six, I would say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, and then there's, okay, so I have, what, how many did I say? How many things did I say I want to talk about? I think you said two or you said a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a lot. It was okay, a I have at least... Bible. Uh, at least two more, I think. Yeah, okay. Well, we were talking about, was it episode two that we were talking about the teaching stuff? Sure. Okay, well, whatever <laughs> okay. episode that was, we were talking about teaching we games. Our own we were talking about episode. teaching games, and I didn't bring up, like, the best teaching YouTube channel, Watch It Play, run by Rodney Smith. Everyone in the industry knows him. He does great videos, but right now he has his season seven Indiegogo campaign. That's how he raises funds to do it for full time. Uh, when this episode drops, it'll be about three weeks left, I think, to donate. Uh, so the the Indiegogo site will be in the show notes. So if you wanna, if you know who he is, and you like his stuff, go uh, go give him some donate, show him some love. And then I wanted to talk about Gen Cant. We talked about Gen Con a couple episodes ago, Whoa. but there's a thing called Gen Cant, where it's basically for people who can't make it to Gen Con. <laughs> so it's mostly like an online thing, but you can go to uh, GenCant.com and there's lots of different activities on the site and there's um, like people who are part of it, they like to, they host like you could Gen Cant meetups from like August 17th to 20th or whatever when Gen Con is on at like your local, uh, friendly local game store, right? 
So if you want to get involved, I think there's contact on the site. And maybe if you want to set up a Gen Can thing in your own city, in your own town, I think you can get it put up on the site kind of thing, you which I th- think is really cool. Yeah, I actually think that's a really cool idea. When you first brought it up uh, 30 seconds ago, I had never heard of it. And I was going, what, Gen Can't? You know, is this done in like Omaha, Nebraska? You know, is it another centralized con just in a different area? Oh, yeah. And when you said, okay, no, it's to decentralize it and make it local, I totally see some value there. I think I would be interested in checking it out. Yeah, that's really cool. Locally. Very cool. It's not also in St. Louis? <laughs> <laughs> is the St. Louis adjacent? <laughs> well, geek culture, I guess, has come to the point where there's almost remedial <laughs> cons like this. For there's tons. Yeah, you could probably find like you could find a little con for anything, right? Yeah, yeah pretty totally, much. Totally. Uh, and the last thing, <laughs> okay. So, uh, a good uh, Twitter buddy of mine, uh, Christian Kang, over at uh, Take Your Chits YouTube channel. He makes great videos too. They're just always entertaining, and he just discusses a bunch of you know kind of random topics like we do, I guess, but within the hobby, always relating to uh, the board game hobby. But he made this uh, dice challenge video, and he called me out to uh, take the challenge of, uh, of my own. So DICE, this thing, it's D-I-Z-E-D.com. You can, you can visit their website. Uh, it's um, it's going to be it's like this app that teaches you to play board games as you play them. So it looks pretty cool. I mean, so you pull it up and you punch in the game that you're playing, if you know, and whatever the database of the games they have, and and it gives you the it gives you the rules that you need to be able to play it without overwhelming like new players, right? Um, they're actually also launching their own Indiegogo campaign at the end of August, August 28th, I think. So go to the website and check them out. Again, it'll be in the show notes. But uh, we're not video people. No. Uh, we're best left off camera. Absolutely. So I thought for the challenge, um, we would uh, explain the rules for the resistance. And now the challenge is uh, you got to take 30 seconds to explain one of your fa- your favorite games. And that, you know, so we're going to we're going to explain the rules of resistance. I wrote up a little 30 second blurb and we're each going to. Uh, say a word. We're just going to go around the table each saying one word at a time and hopefully it doesn't sound stupid and <laughs> hopefully we can get it within 30 seconds. It'll sound stupid but we can shoot for 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, here this we is go. our first shot at this. Oh yeah, we haven't uh, I haven't practiced at all yet so we're just going to do it. Alright, I shall start. Okay. All players are secretly divided into two teams, spies, and resistance each round. A new team leader chooses a number of players to go on a mission. All players then simultaneously vote to approve the team composition. Spies must remain hidden amongst the players while sabotaging these missions. Resistance players must try to figure out who the spies are while trying to successfully pass the missions. First team to achieve their objective in three of five missions wins. Yeah! Oh, we did it! Wow. All like right. you already said, absolutely no practice runs <laughs> went into this. <laughs> I almost missed that last word. Damn! Woo there. All right. Good job. Good okay, job, guys. I'm sweating. I'm Good winning. job. I'm hot. It's Who hot. It's Where hot here. What's going on? <laughs> what are we doing? That was amazing, guys. Off the top of your head like that. That's crazy. I mean, all I did was recite this little verb I had in my head. We didn't even write anything down. Well, you know what? If anyone can blow meaningless hot air, it's us. So, that's what we do here, folks. Okay, well, uh, finally, that's I think that's everything that I wanted to lead the banter off with. Yeah, I got one thing myself uh, that's movie-related that's pretty cool. So, again, we give the obligatory spoiler warning here. Everything we discuss, expect there to be massive spoilers. 
Uh, and this is to do with the movie Glass, which is a sequel to both Split and Unbreakable. And what's cool is, uh, if you know, it's going to be David Dunn, uh, played by Bruce Willis, who you knew that Samuel Jackson was coming back and you knew that James McAvoy, a.k.a. The Beast, mm-hmm. uh, from the movie Split is coming back. What came out, what's really cool is that, first of all, David Dunn and Beast are going to have, quote, a number of escalating encounters, which is interesting because the first movie was kind of weak on action. Yeah. But more importantly, they're not they're going to reposition Mr. Glass as the bad guy to kind of a gray guy. So he is going to have information that both Beast and David Dunn need. And they're going to really make things more complicated mm. with this triad here. Oh, so he's going to, like, manipulate the situation. Yes, but but not necessarily in just an evil way. And one of the points that I say online when I'm in various comment sections and this comes up is I never really saw Mr. Glass as a traditional villain. He was more looking toward, for his foil in Unbreakable. And, yeah, I mean, he, he was definitely the the bad guy of the two, but... Yeah, he certainly <laughs> murdered a lot of people. He, he did, but, I th- you know, his motivations were you have this guy that was looking for his foil. Yeah. You know, it's often said nobody who's evil <clears throat> sees themselves as evil. Right. And, and it doesn't make him not evil, though. Well, okay. I, you know what, I'm just I'm sure saying Hitler was traditional. okay with what he was doing. Yes. But my point is, is that they're trying to move him into this more gray direction. I just thought it was interesting. So is he going to repent about killing the busloads of people and the train and the whatever else? You never know. Maybe the scene opens in a church and he's given one hell of a a Catholic. Because that makes it okay. (laughs) It does when you ask Jesus for forgiveness. They just just need to put him in his own suit of armor. Oh, there you go. uh, Give him some glass armor. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Anyways, I just thought that was a, an interesting little tidbit. I'm yeah, excited cool. for that movie, and, and we'll see where they go there. Yeah. I'm excited for that, too. I like Split. It was cool. And it was, I mean, particularly, it made it better when I uh, didn't know what the ending of it was, the tie-in. Like, yes. I had no idea oh, when I watched it. you didn't have that spoiled? It. No. Oh, so, yeah, I had that spoiled for me. Oh, man, that made it so much better, I bet. It made me, me so sad. Yeah, like, cool. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Like the And it was a cool movie in its own right. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but no, oh, that's cool. I'm excited for that. Sweet, definitely. Marty, you got anything? Oh, I told you, I have nothing. Okay, I'm the, con- <laughs> I'm the content director. I've directed the content. I put my time into the content. Okay, let's he's, jump he's into the content. He's actually here like a orchestra conductor with one of those wooden twigs. He's conducting everything we do. Another good reason it's not on film. Okay, it look awkward. <laughs> so we're gonna start off with the movie segment. Uh, correct here. Yeah, I think so. And today we are discussing Grindhouse. Grindhouse burned bright for a couple minutes there, had its 15 minutes of fame, and then largely died off. So, you know, if you're not familiar with the Grindhouse films, um, they were basically two homage pieces. Uh, It was a double feature, which is very very unusual, uh, released in 2007, and that was uh, Death Proof and Planet Terror. Death Proof done by Quentin Tarantino and Planet Terror done by Robert Rodriguez. And as a component to that, there were a number of fake trailers for different Grindhouse films, and a few of them ended up getting made. Now, what Grindhouse itself is was an homage to 1970s drive-in movies where 
there's a lot of gore. There's a lot of exploitationist kind of sexy women when ripped shirts sort of thing going on. And, uh, you know, we love Grindhouse, all three of us here. Um, I believe we saw it multiple times. We certainly saw the trailers over and over on YouTube. We saw all the films that were released following the original Grindhouse double feature. But it never really took off. And the question is, why? Why didn't it take off? So, are you asking me? You know, I've got my thoughts on it, but I figured <laughs> I'd be kind and polite instead of monologuing and throw it out first. So, well, uh, Leland plays with, uh, well, he's doing, oh, free sell. Okay. Well, Marty, let's start with you. He's, he's out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I've got some ideas for sure. I mean, uh, my favorite film of the whole bunch is probably either Planet Terror or Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, Hobo taking it as far as you could probably take the genre and Planet Terror being a little more on the not family friendly side at all <laughs> but uh, you know cinema friendly side um, definitely more of a A-list cast that sort of thing as for why it's not succeeded um, I would just think it's kind of, is that, that's what you asked me right yeah but you're, you're fine <laughs> hey hey you're fine explaining which ones you like that's no cool I'm, I'm thinking you know I'm do the same. ever since Planet Terror we haven't seen one that's kind of stepped in with that big name cast and that hype behind it um you know you have hobo with a shotgun but it's not for everybody i think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way and i think a lot of those films do they they go so far into that violent side that unless you really find that stuff funny and you can see the the absurdness in a super hyper violent film oh yeah it's disturbing i mean my wife just wonders why i laugh at these things but you have to laugh at the absurdity of it. Otherwise, it's terrifying. Well, that's a very good point there, Marty. They do have a very macabre sense of humor. And if you don't get it, these films are going to be some of the most horrifying, disturbing set pieces you're going to see on a screen in the past 20 years. There's a lot of limbs getting hacked and blood and terrible things happening there. And if you don't understand that it's in jest, it's going to come off come off pretty badly there. Leland, what what do you think about Grindhouse? Um, I agree that I think Planetaire is probably my favorite. But then I was thinking, um, like the Machete movies, they're Grindhouse, right? Yeah, Mach- oh, for, sure, for sure. Yeah. So I think I actually like uh, Machete Kills. Machete 2, right? 2, yes. yeah. Yeah, and that's, I, that's where I agree with you. Yeah. I think the first one didn't know what it wanted to be. The trailer did. The trailer was hilarious. Yeah, yes. And the first one started getting serious at times. But the second one is not serious at all. The second one is hilarious. It knows exactly what kind yeah. of movie it wants to be. Yeah, has, well, I mean, like, it's, it's a machete in space, for God's sake. <laughs> like, it legitimately <laughs> does. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was awesome because you had uh, Danny Trejo, who is a, a former con. He's a very tough-looking guy. But he just he just can deliver. He just gets it. He gets that he's got to play this one role straight in this yeah. crazy world that surrounds him. Machete don't tweet. <laughs> machete don't text. Machete don't tweet. Machete don't social media. Uh, personally, I looked into the original Grindhouse film, and let's just be honest, it failed at the box office. It failed poorly. It uh, it brought in about one-third of the expected revenues in the opening weekend. And I think the audience didn't get it based off the trailers. And I think that... It had some competition in the movies uh, that weekend, in particular Blades of Glory, which... Oh, really? Yeah, it scratched people's kind of comedy itch there. And you had, you know, a Will Ferrell gig 
there. So that's going to be a big draw. Um, you know, I think there's some people that just plain didn't want to sit through three hours plus of movies, two features plus commercials. And it was kind of a cult movie brought to the screens. It didn't help that the second film of the two should have been the first film in theaters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Death Proof was a lot slower moving than Planet Terror. Oh, coming yeah. off the adrenaline rush of Planet Terror, which, by the way, I agree with you too, was the best of all the Grindhouse films released. I have never laughed so hard watching a movie for the first time that I watched that. I remember I was sitting beside one of my friends and I was thinking that I may get organ damage. I was laughing so hard. I was having trouble breathing at points and I just got it. <laughs> and it's interesting because I, as I mentioned, Death Proof was Quentin Tarantino, but he was completely outshone by Robert Rodriguez in his own game. Yeah, yeah. And Death Proof is seen as one of the poorer <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino films that he's ever done. I don't think it's terrible. I do think it's low energy. I think it's just there's not a ton going on. You know, Quentin Tarantino really over relied on dialogue in that. Any takers? Anyone agree with my take on Death Proof? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's definitely a slow film. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, I liked it so much better watching it on its own, though. Like, yes. I remember, like, hating it coming out of that sure. double feature. Like, it was not paired well. Uh, putting it side-by-side uh, side with Planet Terror, which I think Planet Terror like, nailed exactly the the feel of the whole Grindhouse thing that they were putting together, right? And then you throw Death Proof, which is a pretty... It's, it is really is an, in, an interesting movie. Right. But, like, it, it's classic Tarantino. Like, he's gory, but there's spurts of it, right? Exactly. So it's not like... Yeah, I don't know. In, in amongst his endless dialogue. Yeah. And yeah, he writes good dialogue, but once you're 15 minutes into a scene and all there's been is talky-talky, eventually you want to see yeah. someone's arm fly off or something like Yeah, that. well, especially just seeing Planet Terror with <laughs> Tarantino himself being in Planet Terror, like, trying to have sex with this woman <laughs> and his genitals are melting. <laughs> like, it's like, it's disgusting. It's but. disgusting, but it's awesome. <laughs> It's awesome. And the dialogue in Planet Terror is hilarious. Absolutely. Yeah, but it doesn't go to that point where you're like, okay, please stop. This is in, too much. Yeah. In, in particular, I love the character of El Rey. I mean, he was kind of the straight guy in that, but there's a running joke, El Rey never misses. Yeah. And that's both uh, shooting guns and uh, shooting his own uh, personal pistol, if you know what I mean. Um, and so when he drops that final, El Rey never misses to his girlfriend, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. That's pretty funny. Um, where I was disappointed, and I don't really see a way around this, was the failure of Hobo with a Shotgun. And I agree with Marty that that was the second best film. For what it was, it was amazing. It was hilarious. It had Rooker Hauer as the hobo. But what you got to remember is that that was a it was a Canadian made film. It the reason why its trailer was in the original Grindhouse was that it won a competition, and so. Mm-hmm. When they actually were able to get the film made, it was a little bit awkward. And there just really was no marketing budget supporting it. Uh, Particularly when it came out on DVD. It's a nice DVD. It's in a great package and whatnot. But I took a whole day off to try to track that movie down. And it took me six hours. I finally found one copy in the back room of an HMV. And this was like a day or two into release. And I remember asking all these people, well, is this thing flying off the shelves? And they go, no, we just don't have it. We don't have it at Future Shop. 
We don't have it at Best Buy. So it was a very limited run DVD print, it appears, and uh, just was not supported by marketing budget, which was sad. It's definitely the hidden gem of all the Grindhouse films that got released. And let's not forget that there were a few Grindhouse films such as Black Dynamite that are not related to the original Grindhouse double feature that came out. Black Dynamite was pretty good too, but just not popular enough to, yeah, I think, to get a series. I think it is very good, and it, it uh, also spawned, like, spurned off into a uh, like a animated series, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, that is, is true. Right, I it? did forget that, to be quite honest. Um, the other thing about Black Dynamite is that was kind of going more along the black exploitation films of the uh, 70s, which was basically a sub-genre of the grindhouse films yes um yeah they never really went anywhere with that we still get the occasional movie that comes out but they're all video on demand low very very low budget films and they don't really go anywhere well and i think honestly i think politics may play a little role in that i mean it was a black exploitation film and it was poking a lot of fun at black stereotypes in the black community even though it was you know all african-american actors there's that one scene, one of the better scenes in the movie where, you know, you see how promiscuous Black Dynamite was because he's walking down his neighborhood and there's all these kids going, Black Dynamite's my daddy. No, he's my daddy, too. And another kid chimes in, no, he's my daddy. And he's fathered literally every kid in the neighborhood. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it plays on an unfortunate stereotype of promiscuity. And I just wonder if you'd be able to get away with that right now. Look with Hobo with the shotgun. Could you get away in 2017 having the protagonist as a homeless guy with a shotgun and a lawnmower. I yeah, don't I don't know. You know, when you've got... I go back here to Split with James McAvoy we were talking about earlier. I don't know if you know Leland, but that got a lot of heat for uh, misrepresenting people with mental illness and yeah. representing them as, as killers and dangerous people. And it's just... It's very easy to offend people these days. I just think back to my favorite line in Hobo with a Shotgun, where it's uh, just a newspaper headline, and it says, Hobo stops begging, demands change. <laughs> and that's not super relevant to anything we just said. It's just awesome. But it's amazing. Well, my favorite character in the film was Grinder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could have made a spinoff with Grinder, and I, you know what? I forget the other guy, but who cares? It was, the Plague, right? Oh, gr- yeah, yeah they right. were the collectively plague. the Plague. A grinder who only talked in electronic noises, like people are having conversations with him somehow. Like, oh yes, grinder. Oh, oh, we do that next. So that was just completely out of left field and amazing. It was. It was so weird. We're going to call in this ancient mystical force that defeats monsters to stop this homeless person (laughs) with a shotgun. No explanation of how these guys even exist i remember the first time you see them there's some dungeon around yeah, yeah. in the drug it's lord's lair and one, one of the guys from the plague is like stabbing a bunch of octopus tentacles coming out of a prison cell <laughs> well, what the fuck is going on here oh that's hilarious anyways if anything we've said if these movies sound intriguing look them up i'm sure you can find them on youtube for rental or, or maybe itunes and uh they're, they're definitely worth a watch if you can get where they're coming from. I think there's also something to be said about uh, the one trailer that we have not seen a film made out of that we all enjoyed, oh, and that is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> Eli Roth's trailer. Um, I would pay money to go see that tomorrow, and I, it has no purpose. There, it, it would be a movie about a killer during Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
It's like for violence sake. Yeah. Really. Gosh. Well, I was doing. But I mean, what is any horror movie? Right. About True. Me? But I just sure. mean this is nothing special. Yet the trailer is special. Well, you could tell that Eli us. Roth understood the Grindhouse theme. Yeah. Of humor and over the top yeah. violence. I mean, it's special to us. That's cool true. it, Julie. You're with Bobby now. Swing! <laughs> His head comes off. And, uh, you just got to see it. Now, that's for free. Look up Thanksgiving Grindhouse on YouTube. You have to wonder oh, if wow. the problem is, is with these films is the trailer's great because you don't have to flesh them out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, they can't stand alone as a full-length feature. But when you make them an hour and a half to two hours long, yeah. you end up with, like, Machete 1, which was a, it dragged. It did, yes. Right. Well, when I was doing my research for today, I found it was all the way back in 2010, which was now apparently a long time ago. But Edgar Wright, who did Don't, which was another <laughs> one of the trailers, was trying to get a double feature done with Eli Roth and Thanksgiving. And they tried oh. to sell it to a bunch of studios and they just couldn't get funding, which is oh. unfortunate. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, But on that topic of violence, Leland, do you have anything else? Or are we ready to um, You know what? I uh, I think actually I'm good on the movie Musings, yeah. I got one thing. Okay, sure. Why is, why is the violence so funny? What makes it funny? <sighs> because it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not like normal violence. Yeah. You know? It's not like um, the first Hostel. Like, the, the violence in the first hostel is disturbing. Or, like, Saw. Sure, sure. Maybe the first one. Yeah, it's, it's like, I think it, it pushes it, because it's, it's, it's hyper, right? It's hyper violence. It's, and it's, which uh, I think pushes it into being unrealistic, and then it looks, like, comical, because that's right. what they're going for. Like, it's the same as Kill Bill. All the mm. violence in Kill Bill is like crazy over the top. You cut off a limb and you're you're spraying a fire hose with the blood everywhere, right? <laughs> like, I, mm. I, I like so it's not like it, it doesn't disturb you. I don't know. I don't know. It's no, weird. I think Leland hit the nail on the head. It's comical. Yeah. The violence is pushed into the realm of pure comedy. I think if you don't get that, I think then you're one of those people that watches the film with an open mouth and you're shocked and wondering how this could ever be made. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, that was my uh, question. I mean, the uh, follow-up was, are we bad people? <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes. <laughs> no. no re- realistically, I think we're people that can understand what the Grindhouse films were, where they were coming from, what their directors meant them to be, and that's why we enjoyed them so much. I think we're a byproduct product of our generation, too. We've been so desens- you know, desensitized to this violence that... It's easy to see the humor in over-the-top violence. And I think maybe an older generation wouldn't get that. But yeah, for us, maybe. I've been playing violent video games yeah. since, since forever. And that's, yeah. that's a beautiful segue, Marty. Absolutely. Oh. Take it away, Marty. Well, I'll just keep talking then. <laughs> yeah, so uh, today on the... Whatever we call video, video game, game variety game. show. <laughs> <laughs> today on video game variety show. Uh, video game violence. Just kind of a rough discussion on uh, how video game violence has uh, kind of influenced today's crop of video games. Why video games are so violent now. Why the most popular AAA games are first-person shooters or just violent action games. Leland, what do you think? Well, you know, I was kind of thinking uh, over this last generation. And I think, honestly, the trend of ridiculously violent video games is, is decreasing. I agree. I'm just even thinking just back to uh, 
what was it, the sixth generation of console, like the PS2 and stuff. Like some of the games that, like all the Grand Theft Autos back then were like, like meant to depict crazy amounts of violence, right? And even games like, um, I think, what was that, State of Emergency? Yeah. Do you remember that game? I like, you're like in a mall and you're just like, killing everything and like, I don't even know riot. what the yeah, I don't even know what the game was really about but like games like that and where like they're made to be again hyper violent um yeah I don't think you see games like that anymore feels like video games have grown up a little bit since then yeah I think so it feels like we hit our peak around uh, the kind of PS2 maybe early PS3 era and then we started getting a lot of indie games that weren't about action or violence they were just about exploring or themes or concepts that had nothing to do with shooting a gun yeah um so yeah maybe we were wrong when we initially thought up this uh, topic maybe it's not as violent as we think well i think i look at the history of video games and i think in particular you know in the early 90s when doom which i would say is a a milestone in violent video games still is yeah but i think at that time doom was basically analogous to one of the first made for adults video games and at that time there was not this kind of larger imagination for the lack of a better term of what could be created for an adult themed video game without having a ton of violence yeah you look at what the graphical capabilities back then were it's 2d side-scrolling super mario and zeldas and things like that so doom kind of had to be rebel rebellious and sort of shock uh people's minds with violence so people go oh wow Video games for adults can be made. And it kind of took on from there. I think particularly in the generation where we had the the PS2, you know, the sixth gen, I think that's where the increasingly better graphics, you started getting a glut of games like Manhunt and Grand Theft Auto Mm 3 that had a lot of violence. And I think what we saw was a peak, kind of maybe that generation or the generation after where People just got sick of running down the street and stabbing Granny in the eyeball with a screwdriver and said, you know, I want more out of my game. Feels like Rockstar specifically started maturing their games a little bit mm-hmm. when you think like they don't have a Manhunt 3 on the horizon. No. And even their Grand Theft Auto games are a lot more story driven, um, although they're still quite over violent, the top and yeah, violent. But yeah, yeah. even uh, Red Dead Redemption, which is an incredibly violent game, is a very humanized story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also was thinking about like the Tomb Raider reboot and then like The Last of Us. They're kind of the ex- like the new modern versions of like Uncharted or like the original Tomb Raiders. They keep going in that genre, yet they are a lot more violent and gritty than the originals were. I kind of think the peak of violence came with uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. If you recall, that was the game where in the opening segment you're uh, pretending to be a terrorist right. in an airport and you have the option oh, to yeah. kill a bunch of people, right. innocent civilians. And yeah. I remember there was a lot of controversy and I actually yeah. looked it up and it was one of actually the very few cases where they could directly link a violent incident, in fact, to, to this game really? as well. The note that I've got was a Dutch guy. He's got a weird name and there's probably no way in hell I'm pronouncing it right. Elfin Rijen, who purposefully to copy that uh, Modern Warfare 2 segment, got a rifle, got a handgun, went into a shopping mall, shot seven dead and 17 wounded on April 9th, 2011. But the thing is, is the game didn't make him do it. 
that guy was clearly he was fucked up insane. And yeah. I think that that could be tied to any violent media and blaming it on people's actions. That was something that we were going to bring up in this is do these violent get video games affect you in any way? And for me, I think they affect me in a positive way. I think it's a good stress relief to play a shooting game online. Well, maybe not a shooting game online that causes more stress. but to, <laughs> With voice chat. Yeah, that's not good. Um, that's bad. But to play a, you know, a, a shooting game, play Grand Theft Auto, and just get some of that uh, violent male frustration out is probably a good, healthy thing. I agree, too. I would say with 95% plus of people that that is entirely accurate. Certainly for myself, I think I've always been stable surprise surprise enough to uh to play those games and have that as an outlet i do think there are a few people that are already sociopathic or destabilized enough yes we are all pointing at leland uh (laughs) (laughs) that that the game could uh trigger something there's a reason we're across the table from it yes you can't see this there is a long oaken table that separates (laughs) myself and marty from leland um, you know, and I think you are correct though when you say that. Like, and I think that the 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 prevalence of video games, like, they're so they're everywhere. You who hasn't played a video game, right? Especially, um, you know, stereotypically to the male demographic, the young male demographic, which are usually the ones you hear about going off and shooting up places, right? Right. Um, they're just they're the video game. It's like it's such a huge culture. It's easy to. It's easy to see it as a source of influence, good or bad, I think. And and it's easy to it's it's where you can easily shift the blame to explain these crazy and tragic circumstances that you don't that that nobody should have to explain. Like you don't want to have to even talk about, like this stuff shouldn't happen it's, it's just, an easy answer for a difficult question yeah exactly yes, yes. That's thank you that's, you summed up my last 45 seconds of <laughs> fumbling very well marty thank you very much <laughs> uh, no problem question for you guys here do you like the rating system that we have for video games um in particular that certain games can be restricted from kids buying them i think that's fine i mean i think that should be a parental thing you know that does fall to the parents to kind of teach kids about violence because some kids yeah. cannot should not be playing a r-rated game at 12 years old yeah but and it's and it's also i think falls on the parents to monitor it too i don't think you you shouldn't be shifting any blame to any video game company that may or may not uh underrate or have their game get underrated or then sold to someone who shouldn't be buying it at a video game store or whatever like i think it's solely at the end of the day it falls on parentage to be monitoring that stuff and you put in these rating guidelines to help the parents make decisions on things that may they may not understand or even know about at all which is the same it's the same about it's the same movies right i mean i think we really should need to have a conversation on just like film ratings and now i guess the esrb or whatever um i don't know i think it's i think the ratings are fine i I mean, personally, growing up, I never had any restrictions on the type of games that I was allowed to play. Nor did I. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's... You know, I was actually the probably, I guess, the only one of us three that was under some very harsh restrictions for games. And it was weird because my mom was very conservative. And yet, she did not ban us from violence in movies. Uh, 
sex in movies was a big no-no, and we had to close eyes and close ears. That was pretty hard to do, but she taught us how to do it at the same time. Uh, but, <laughs> but violence in movies was never a problem, but homeboy, do you not kill a person in a, a video game. I remember when GoldenEye came out, I was at... Uh, one of my friend's birthday parties and I had to plead on the phone with my mom for 10 minutes how it was paintballs that were being shot. We would only ever play paintball mode and I promise on Jesus's cross that we will only ever shoot paintballs at each other. Oh, wow. And that was the kind of negotiations I had to enter to. Um, you still tell her that when we're playing? <laughs> I, do, I do. I do. Sure. Her numbers and speeds out of my phone. So whenever I play a bad game with you guys, I, uh, I give her a call. We're playing Doom Paintballs. <laughs> Doom Paintballs. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I um, kind of wanted to go back to the shaping of the, the violence. And like, I think now we got to the point where uh, now like those uber violent games stand out even more now because I think it's less... Uh, there's less violence in general. Like, like I mean, Doom. Even the, the newest Doom game now, it's ridiculously violent. And I, I had fun playing it. And, like, at least you're just, I guess, crushing the heads of the aliens and stuff. But it's crazy violent. And I think about last generation, uh, there was a game called uh, Bulletstorm. Yeah, Remember that? I, wrote, so I wrote a note for Bulletstorm. The entire point of that game was to, to, be vi- to get these crazy, ridiculous gory kills on the enemies, gets right? violence points. Yeah, pretty much, right? And you, and you like, uh, try to attain these high scores and the level you're going through. And uh, I don't know. Is there, like, that type of equivalent game that's made, like, now? Like, I don't know. But I just think now if you put hyper-violence into your video game, you, you now definitely shine and step forward. So maybe it's going to come full circle again. Like, And that's what... Because that's what Rockstar was doing back in the day, right? And then, then everyone started throwing... I mean, you slap an M in back in the day, and you could be like, "Okay, there's going to be some some dev violence in this game. This is M rated." That's and I don't know. It's M now could just mean more an adult themed game. There could be violence, but it doesn't. It's not maybe not that type of violence. It's yeah. not the violence where it's gore, guts, and uh, helmet just genocide in terms of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, it's it's more like um, even like The Last of Us. It's a very M rated game, but it's not as over-the-top, gory, violent. Well, maybe it is. Yeah, but okay, if you just take... What makes that game M, then? Because... Or is it M? Is it a T? It's M. It's M, okay. So what? Wh- where is the line, then, between making that game a T and uh, pushing it to mature? Because, like, is it is it strictly the violence that is depicted through gameplay? It must be. And there's, like, implied uh, rape. And that's true things. yeah yeah okay so the then, language too. yeah the language, and, and language so I is guess, a big one for the rating system um that swearing will make your game m-rated before shooting somebody will yeah just, hmm. just like movies yeah. yeah one point i'd like to make is i like where the stealth action genre has gone where games are complicated enough to the point where if you kill someone it has consequences they may leave a blood puddle which gets you seen and it may be better to tranquilize someone and hide them in a dumpster, you know, instead of blowing their head off. And I, I like that it brings some consequences and some additional uh, thought and challenge there, which is uh, ironic me saying that uh, because next episode, uh, me and video games and challenge don't go together very often. As yeah, we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> lay into you for that one. I expect it's going to come. The one I definitely think of is like Dishonored, where you can play it as uh, like 
non-lethal as possible or you can be the most homicidal maniac in the entire game and murder everybody and there's abilities where if you kill somebody their body disappears so nobody can find them so it's direct opposite to what you're saying you don't have to hide the bodies they turn to ash now the game does turn kind of corrupted on you and there's more like rats or blood flies in the game because people are dying so there's more corpses but uh, in terms of that i think the game's way easier if you play it in a violent way (laughs) if you actually sneak and, and murder everybody yeah it's the easiest way to play it. Yeah, it does. It rewards violence. So then does that make the game experience better for you? Is that violence making that that option? Is it making that game better? I like having the option. Yeah, I think definitely you need the option. I hate to make this bland by agreeing with you two, but I completely do. I like having the option myself. Yeah. It makes me feel more empowered as a gamer. Hmm. MGS4 as well. Um, or no, five, five, phantom, phantom pain. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you get rewarded by not killing people, yeah, the whole you, you build your fortress by not. Yeah, killing exactly. People. You're like, you know, quote unquote, recruiting some of the men you don't kill, right? Kind of feels like enslaving. It really does. I don't know why they decided to join up <laughs> with you. Yeah, you basically balloon these people away from faraway lands. Yeah, and then they come to your Back base, to your sea, and, your sea base. Yeah, You're like, well, you can either swim or serve. you know it reminds me too um a very early game that was one of my favorites growing up that did that it wasn't as explicitly violent uh because it was mech warriors mech warrior 2 mercenaries uh but the game taught you that if you take out the cockpit and uh you know blow out the the guy there that you could uh you could save the mech that was an interesting use of violence because then you could take that mech you could strip its arms put it on your own mech sell it um, ah, cool. It, it was cool. And I, I think in the early days, that was one way that um, the kind of precise violence really had had rewards um, instead of just blowing up or killing everything in sight. So hmm. I just wanted yeah, to throw yeah, that yeah. anecdote in there. Do you feel like M-rated games were more desirable when we were younger? Oh, I think so. I think that was like a, a lure. I was like, oh, man, this game's got to be cool. It's it's so mature. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Why else would we have enjoyed Manhunt so much? Yeah, I know, right? It wasn't a very good game. No. Talk about uh, disturbing violence, Ooh. for sure, right? Like, Kingsley's going to suck your guts. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, how are we going to get nightmares playing that game? Especially since we played it all in one night till like, four in the morning. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there was... There was that kind of element of, for the lack of a better term, you know, mommy, wow, I'm a big boy now, you know, playing uh, mature games when you're a young teen and, you know, oh, this is cool. I feel so much more like an adult, yeah. you know, playing this sort of thing. So I, I think that had a small factor. I feel like nowadays I don't care. I'm just <laughs> as interested in playing a Zelda with, which I mean is violent in its own way, but not in a gory M-rated way. And or a Mario, I, those types of games are probably just as enjoyable for me, and the violence doesn't really sway me one way or the other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I don't crave video games that are violent. I don't explicitly go to a store and go, I want to pick a game today, and it's got to be a violent game. You know, we just play what's interesting and what we want. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Especially now, like we kind of touched on a couple episodes ago, um, how selective. We kind of are now being older. We don't get to play everything. That's another so reason. if you're drawn to every violent game out there, I don't know. So you're gonna find a lot of duds. I think. I think so too. Yeah, yeah exactly. You have to look at you have to you have to base your purchases off way more than just the amount of violence you find in a game, right? There's so many other factors now that we would put into it. 
Whereas when we were younger, I don't think you pay attention to as many of those factors. Yeah, and there's other factors, too, that are becoming less important. I mean, it's probably a topic for another podcast, but, you know, I look at the success of Stardew Valley, where it was 16-bit graphics, uh, no violence at all yeah. in that game, except for, you know, killing jelly guys in a mine. Yeah. But that game sold like hotcakes. And, it was fun, too. And it was damn yeah. fun. It sucked game. up well over 100 hours for me. I but, plan on rebuying it when it comes out for the Switch. Exactly. So... You know, violence is one of many things that's less important to us than when we were kids. I mean, honestly, when the PS2 came out in Generation 6, what did you hear? Or what did I hear about having a GameCube? Well, the graphics suck. It's not as powerful compared to the PS2. Graphics, graphics, graphics. And that's just no longer, you know, as big of a thing anymore. Same with violence. I agree, yeah. I think you're totally right. So I guess the final question I had was, does violence improve a game? I think... The option of violence in any sort of shooter or action game does. We go back to options, and I like the fact that we can now selectively be less violent if we want, but I like the option of just being able to jump in a tank and go to town if I want, you know? (laughs) What do you think, Leland? Um, I I think I agree with with what you're saying here. Um, I don't know. There's just, like, some genres... Of, of games that come with an inherent violence. I mean, you can't sure. have a first-person shooter without violence. I mean, you're shooting things or people or aliens or whatever, right? I don't know. It's, uh, so, I like you said, though, having the choice in, you know... But I guess that, that is still, again, particular genres of video games where you actually are given that choice. True. Mm-hmm. But it's still is a choice to put that in the game. I mean, you can have a guy get shot and fall over, or you can have a guy get shot and his head explodes. That's uh, that's a good point, yeah. You know one game, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, where the choice of violence was done in a way that I've never played better was the SWAT series, particularly SWAT 4. It's, uh, it's a PC game series. I'd understand if you haven't heard of it. It's about 10 years old or so. But your police and... They expect you to act like police, which means the only way you're going to max out your rewards is to never be lethal, which is very difficult because the non-lethal weapons don't do as much. You know, shooting a guy with a beanbag round as compared to a 12-gauge slug has different uh, stopping power there. Um, And I like that you're a cop, and it's more tense when you break through a door and you got to go get on the ground, get on the ground, get on the ground. You have seconds to decide because the game randomizes the AI of everyone you encounter if that guy's going to go okay and drop his gun or if he's going to turn to you and shoot or if it's even a civilian or a perpetrator to begin with. Hmm. I just thought that game did it excellent. Yeah, that sounds cool. And in addition, what that game did um, was it really played with you psychologically. There's one mission where you go into a house, just a normal house in the suburb, You arrest the guy's mom. There's a tenant uh, downstairs. Really, there's no other enemies until you get to this guy at the end of the level. But to get to this guy, you have to go through this room where he has all these cameras and recording equipment set up. There's a bloody mattress. He's basically raped and dismembered all these women. And the game makes you enraged at this guy. So to not pull out your lethal weapon and cap the guy a bunch of times in the head becomes that much harder Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that the game played with you psychologically in that way and in making lethal options uh 
you want to turn to them when you really can't to get the best score. Wow, yeah, that's cool. That was really cool. Hmm. Makes me think of The Last of Us right at the end. You're there, you're there to save uh, your surrogate daughter from being experimented on to save humanity, but you don't care. You just want to save her instead. Yeah. And you're not given an option. You no, have just... to save her. So you yeah. walk into a room full of doctors and you don't have to shoot the doctors really, but you have to grab her and leave and then you kill people on your way out. But you basically went through this um, hospital full of people who are just trying to save the world, killing them all. <laughs> and then the doctors who are screaming, no, please don't shoot me. And you're shooting them because I was angry at them for doing this to my surrogate daughter. And <laughs> on your way out the door, you're just you're killing everybody and you're doing the wrong thing for your own selfish reasons. But the game doesn't give you a choice in that instance. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think that uh, covers violence. I guess we all agree we like violence. <laughs> well, of course, it wouldn't be the theme for this podcast with a one more segment on violence. So, Leland? Yeah, okay. So, uh, now we'll move into the crazy about cardboard. I'm glad you remembered the name of your own segment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, if, I don't know, listener, if you've noticed, but I think we I was flopping between about and for. Uh, as the name, crazy about or crazy for cardboard. I, don't I know. like crazy is cardboard. <laughs> no, shut up. <laughs> crazy is as crazy. Actually, does. you know, I've received some flack from listener about the name of the segment. Apparently, it's not very well received. So oh, I don't know. Indeed. I'm gonna keep it because I don't care, listener. Well, but actually, we do love you, though, listener. We really love <laughs> keep you. Keep listening. Keep listening. Keep downloading. But actually, um, for the for the board game section, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, the abstraction of violence. Because I think in a board game, you outside of artwork, it's extremely difficult to actually depict the violence. So you're always at least one step removed from it. Uh, so I was wondering what you guys thought. Uh, how, how does that affect, like, potentially the theming of, of a board game? Like, I mean, I guess you could... You can lump, you know, war, war games. Uh, if you're moving your armies across the map and you're rolling some dice, where's the where's what's the violence? Again, it's crazy abstraction. But if you're thinking, if you're talking about uh, uh, themes, more like that, the the point of the theme is to show and depict maybe a certain type of violence or a certain maybe uh, like. About uh, freedom, the Underground Railroad. It's about the the slaves moving up to Canada to be free, and you're moving them along this this map, and you're trying to dodge uh, like the captors that are trying to catch them. So that's that's super abstracted in this this very serious theme. Does that abstraction take away from that type of theming? Do you think? Does it? Does it? Or does it? The abstraction is what allows you to. Uh, depict those themes in a respectful manner that are are still prevalent, but you you still you can still enjoy the gameplay. I don't maybe freedom isn't isn't exactly the best because you're you're on the you know the good side. You're 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 the one freeing slaves and and the the captors are, are like AI controlled, right? But uh, I think of a game uh, Mombasa. It's about um, essentially about uh, European colonization of of Africa. And that is in like super, uh, very inherently related to um, exploitation and slavery, right? Um, but all of that again is really abstracted. I mean, you're you're further exploring into the continent of Africa to reap all these resources, memory, uh, and minerals and stuff from the land, but 
but there's there's of course there's no there's it's not like you roll some die and oh i'm gonna kill a bunch of native africans in this area to drop my outpost here it's just like you know it's Again, it's it's all abstraction. So, do you think that adds or or takes away from? Well, we? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, very difficult to portray disturbing violence in a board game. Um, in particular, we played a, a number of games, you know, where you're trying to hunt Jack the Ripper or you're a violent alien, and it's always so abstract that it never comes to to disturbing. And I think if a board game company was actually able to make less abstract violence i think that could be a very memorable game with certain themes Mm -hmm. so i guess what i would say is i wish i wish someone had come out with a game like underground railroad where there was some sort of description of the violence maybe it was a card that was randomly picked that told how this innocent character died in kind of very descriptive graphic explicit ways that made you go wow you know it's a board game but there are consequences to 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 the actions but you know overall i mean even war games all it is is a token gets flipped over to show that it's weakened or you're moving pieces in and out of the map yeah explicit violence is is virtually as far as i know i i have not played a a board game that involves explicit violence yeah i've never felt connected to a game in that way i've never played a war game where i went oh my figurine fell over he's dead <laughs> yeah it's just like yeah. i've lost points right and you're playing as like the axis and axis and allies or whatever other war game and there's no like you know you're not playing a, you're not doing their war atrocities here you're just directing their armies you might you might be playing villains or poor good guys you might be playing jack the ripper but you're just playing to win a game it didn't you never see that violence depicted and i think that probably benefits the game it would be kind of freaky and not really fun if you felt like a terrible person for being on the jack ripper side <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah i guess i i think um yeah i think that those that's would certainly pull away from that would definitely detract from some of those themes right but it might I add mean, to the immersion yeah yeah at, at, but i think at the sacrifice of mechanics and gameplay though i agree right yeah i think I think anyone who manages to put in explicit violence in a board game is going to have to, in the most specific of themes where it really matters, I think for most themes that we see board games done in, uh, it just would not be a... It, it wouldn't make sense to have graphic violence. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I agree. So, though, um, since it's not depicted, I mean, basically it leaves it up to... The imagination right you you have to try to connect the dots to the consequences of your actions right if they're if the game isn't going to show you those consequences is that is that good or bad for younger gamers that i mean it's the same as maybe picking up a violent video game but the absence of that violence is that does that is that negatively impactful for for younger board gamers do you think like does it undermine those important things that maybe a designer picking a scene like Mombasa or Freedom Underground Railroad, that they're trying to, like, they're picking those themes for a reason, you have to assume, right? Now, does, does that, then does that impactfulness of, of an older gamer understanding the theme and the consequences, does that take away from what that game is trying to be about and what it's trying to say? Yeah, you know, I think it does. Again, in, in specific situations, you know, I've not, I've never played Mombasa, but if there was a way to make what was happening in the game seem, uh, 
you know, like it had very negative consequences graphically somehow, I think that would be better. I think that would be more impactful. You know, I'm trying to think, you know, you go, for example, Marty brought up accessing allies, you know, so that's a, a war game there. Does it make the game worse for kids that the violence is abstract and that it's just tokens moving in and out? I don't know. I think with certain kids, it might make them interested in looking into war history on their own. And then maybe they might see kind of what war was really like. And maybe that's a beneficial thing. At the end of the day, maybe uh, up until now, it's just not the board game's place to be a lecture on, on violence for the most part. Board games are just supposed to be fun diversions that you do with friends. Yeah, I feel that form of media doesn't really need to be a teaching tool. It's so abstract at times that it doesn't matter if you understand exactly what you're doing. But it is probably important, I mean, especially for young people to uh, have an understanding of major political or like just events that have happened, world events. And uh, Mombasa specifically sounds like one where a younger person would have no idea what that's about. They would just be playing a game and, you know, uh, I won by taking this continent over, but... Do you understand anything about it? about it? No, not at all, especially if you're a young person. So, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't understand that. But is it a bad thing? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, then I kind of wanted to also talk about RPGs, like tabletop RPGs and the violence in them. So you are, I mean, if you're taking, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're a, you're a warrior cleaving goblins in half or whatever... That's not, I mean, I guess it's still abstracted, right? That's the theater of the mind. But you're, you're not as removed as you are when you're playing a board game. It's, I think it's, it's very akin to the removal when you are using, playing an avatar in a video game and acting the same violence. Do you, do you guys agree with that? I agree. I think uh, in D&D is probably the perfect example for that. It depends on the player group. You know, the player group can make it very imaginative and violence. You can be playing a group of adults playing D&D that are sick, sick human beings. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. if your dungeon master is a horrible person and lets this go on, then, yeah, you're going to be imagining some terrible violence. And it's a little bit closer than just playing pieces on a board because you're all imagining this. You're all kind of seeing this. You're talking about it. You're living these characters or at least acting them out. And it definitely makes it feel a little more realistic and close than a board game, for sure. Yeah, I think Marty might be alluding to myself. Uh, years and years ago, I was a, a DM in Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition for Leland and Marty and some other people. And I remember I went out of my way to be descriptive with the violence. They did go bad. They became anti-heroes. There was one point where Leland gathered up an entire village of young children and he was a dragonborn and he barbecued kids to death after making them assemble out of wooden tar their own tinder box funeral pyre in the center of town and you know i was very descriptive of leland's psychopathy there so (laughs) you know i i do think rpgs are one place where you can through description show graphic violence and i would argue that for an rpg it actually does benefit the game yes it creates more theater of the mind and i think 
frankly, Dungeons and Dragons is complicated enough that you're probably teenager or older playing it. So then I, I think uh, RPGs are like the missing link, kind of, between video games and like board games. As far yeah. as the violence goes, right? Like, like, like that sliding scale of, of uh, I guess, of abstraction. I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. But yeah, I could see that. You know, I think back to Fiasco, which we keep saying we're going to do together one of these days. And Fiasco Two is a role playing game, and I'm pretty sure we'd all agree that every Fiasco we've done would be rated uh, R. So <laughs> yeah. at least rated R. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason or another, be it violence or insane sexual activity. Or and no matter who joins in with us, it still goes down that path. It does. Yes. Maybe we're a bad influence. Maybe we are. So maybe we are bad people. Yeah. Like, we answered that question wrong. I don't know. Let, you let us know, listener, if you think we're bad people. I hear a knock at the door. The cops are coming. Oh, goodness. Sirens. <laughs> Cue the sirens. Well, okay. I mean, that's kind of all I, all we can really say, I think, about I mean, We covered the abstraction of, of violence. Yeah, you know, in summary, I guess there is some good news, which is that violence is becoming more intelligently used overall in video games in particular, that it's not required for board games. Um, And that in the case of, you know, we didn't really talk about violence in Hollywood as a whole, but I I do think there's less explicit violence just for gratuity's sake overall in in Hollywood as well. I think so too. Basically, media is just maturing up. Yes, I think so. Yes, I think we all agreed we enjoy violence, but we don't need violence. And we're okay uh, moving forward with uh, non-violent media. Yeah. But we'll keep laughing at gratuitous violence. Oh, for sure. Most of we'll, we'll still see Grindhouse movies. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You hear that, Robert Rodriguez? We need another one. <laughs> we know you, you are a secretly listener there, That's Rodriguez. Right. Well, I guess that uh, brings the episode to a close. That's pretty good. We hit just above an hour. That's all right. Uh, so since we recorded last, we actually officially have a website now where you can go and find all the show notes at ttpopcast.wordpress.com. Um, we're on, we got a Facebook page, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, uh, obviously we're on SoundCloud. Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, not on Pornhub. They're not accepting it. Again, we're not, we're not video people. <laughs> it's. They're lowest rated. I just put our name on some stuff, guys. <laughs> don't even worry about it. Crap. Mom, don't listen to this. So, I don't know. Um, I think you can help us out if you listen on iTunes. Uh, rate and review us. That would be awesome. We'd love to see some reviews and stuff. Yeah, I'd like some feedback. Yeah, that'd be cool. And, uh, well, thank you, listener, for the feedback you've already given us. I think we touched it at the beginning of the show. But, no, it's. We've, I think we've gotten a pretty awesome reception. I mean, way b- better than we thought. Yeah, we were going to get so yes that's pretty cool so thank you listener um for your love and devotion uh you can send us gifts and stuff you know we'll we'll get a p.o box in case you want to shower us with with uh gold doubloons gold doubloons <laughs> maybe even like food yeah <laughs> like non-perishable non-perishable please don't, <laughs> don't send us a freshly plucked chicken i prefer bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> And uh, if you are interested in uh, some of my writing uh, and reviews on board games, you can find my website at lelandsteelfiction.wordpress.com. I've been I've been Leland Steel. Moby Tally Ho. And this is Marty. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, listener.